You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Mariam Mukati with me. Mariam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to um, have someone that's new in my circle of friends and, and work colleagues to join me on Max's Island. Please introduce yourself to the listeners and perhaps then lead straight into your story, into that time when things change for you in your life. Oh, things have changed uh, several times, but... Um... Uh, firstly, uh, I'm Maria Mukati, and I am, well, depending on the situation, time of day, time of, you know, year, I am a woman, I am a fundraiser, I am a traveler, I am a friend, I am, a, you know, a worker, whichever it is. So a time where things changed, well, if you look at it in a sentence, life has pretty much just happened to me I've made lots of plans I'm a very I'm a planner I like to write things down and say first I will do this and then I will do this and then I will do this is that something you've been you've done all your life pretty much I was in high school uh doing my all levels at the time so I would have been about 15 years old 14 or 15 and um at that time it was I'm gonna go you know finish high school go to uni do my bachelor's do my master's you know, I wanted to be a, a clinical psychologist at that time. So I had right up to the PhD, I had that planned. I didn't even know what a PhD was back then, but it, it was all uh, part of the plan. Uh, how far did I get in that plan? I finished high school, went to uni, did a double major in psychology, finished that at UWA and decided to do my fourth year, which is a part of the professional requirement. At, the, uh, at another university in uh, Ober East. The area I wanted to focus on for my uh, thesis was to do with um, drawing connections between the visual pathways and dyslexia. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and um, the vision science department at uh, the university was very keen to have me, and I was very keen to go there. Just before going, I said, look, you know, um, this is part of my bachelor's in psychology, isn't it? And they said, yes, absolutely, come on over. 
So and then just before boarding the plane, pretty much, I said, hey, just to make sure this will count towards my four-year site degree, absolutely come along. I moved to Melbourne, started uni there, my fourth year, and in my third or fourth week at uni, they tell me, oh, so you can't become a practicing psychologist with this. It's not a part of your professional degree, but you can become a research psychologist. 21 years old, alone in a city I hadn't no. been in before, devastated. You know, and had some decisions to make. It was past the hex cutoff point. Uh, hex cutoff? What is it? The tax cutoff point. Mm-hmm. And um, decided to withdraw because there was no point adding, you know, a debt when it wasn't going to get me anywhere with the intention of applying again and getting in for the following year. I had about eight months to kill. So I said, you know, let me go back to Pakistan, which is where my parents were, and spend some time with them, soak in some culture, and uh, then come back in a few months' time. And what I was saying about life happening in within two months, I had a job. I, I needed something to do, so I got myself any job that I could get. And the first uh, opportunity was working for a news network, a television news network in Pakistan, and I loved it so much, built a new network of friends that I just never looked back. I never returned to psychology. And you had any experience in high school, you know, drama classes, anything like that? There was a bit of drama, but that was, you know, it was never part of it. It just never occurred to me that sure. television would be something I would do. Um, I was hired to write the English news which, and don't get me wrong, I have no background in journalism. What I was mostly doing at that time was taking the Urdu news, translating it to English. I have a funny story about that as well. Um, Translating it into English. And then um, after a couple of weeks, I was even reading the news on on TV, on live live television. Wow, not pre-recorded. The first few episodes were pre-recorded, but then um, within a few weeks, we were live. At what, what time of the day? At that time, we had one English bulletin. It was in the evening sometime, I can't remember. But before long, we had about six news bulletins a day. And there was a brief period where I was writing and presenting them all. So it was about write, 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 run into makeup, uh, get all dolled up, uh, come back, sit, you know, uh, in front of the, on the desk and um, at the desk rather. And um, were you on on your own on the desk? uh, So we played, so... (laughs) The news network I was working with, it was run by a very eccentric uh, media mogul um, who liked to experiment. So I started off on my own. Um, I still remember that first bulletin when I saw, you know, me sitting there stiff and wide-eyed and with the most (laughs) atrocious makeup, which, um, you know, I had nothing to do with it. I'm sorry, the makeup department really messed up over there. But... um, sitting there all stiff and, you know, reading off the teleprompter, not blinking, looking quite, uh, quite uh, frightening, I think. But yes, later on, um, the eccentric media mogul decided, oh, let's try it more evening news style. So he he said there must be one male and one female. We'd swap between stories. We, you know, we we played around a little bit with the format. So I've done it both ways. I've been solely, you know, the sole person and then... um, shared the desk as well. Now, I know we want to get to your real story here, but interesting point, I need to ask you a question. Was there a human cameraman or were the robotic cameras at that point? 
totally human. Oh, that was that, at least there was somebody else in the studio. Yeah. Yes, and oh no, but not just that. It was an it was an improvised teleprompter. So oh. what you had is um, the the bulletin was typed up, and it was um, in Word or whatever they were using. They they flipped it and made it a mirror image, and then they played it off a screen, reflected into a mirror behind which was the camera. I, I don't know if I've explained yeah. it right, but wow. it was very, very primitive. We didn't have a proper teleprompter. Yeah. So I was reading a mirror image that a person sitting right there was scrolling down, watching, you know, following what I was reading so they could scroll down at the right pace. Real early days of it. Really yeah. early days. And we're talking about Pakistan where, yeah. it, it, you know, this was the first private um, news network in Pakistan. Before that, it was all just state-run television. Yeah. Interesting story on its own, but let's come back to that. Yeah, that time when things really changed for you. So, this albeit was, you've already had a major change in your life where what, what you planned didn't mm-hmm. come true. So this was the first major change. Subsequently, um, so I was about ten years in the uh, with media. I left news and did um, narrative productions, game shows, a variety of television and film, and. Then, uh, by this time, I was back in Melbourne. So we're talking about 2010-ish. What made you come back to Melbourne? Just needed to come back. Yeah, but I didn't want to go to Perth. I didn't want to come back to Perth. Yes. I wanted to try something in the East. By this time, I was married as well. Um, so my husband and I moved to Melbourne. And uh, I had a job doing some work for a children's television uh, show. And... You know, something inside of me was, you know, this isn't it for me. I need something more. I'm not enjoying. Sorry, this has been happening for the last year. Wasn't feeling fulfilled with my work in television and film and um, didn't know what was next. Uh, Probably, um, you know, expedited by a not very happy work situation, but I decided to just quit that job and um, did some temping for a while while I figured out what was next. One thing I was sure of is that we're talking about 2010, and I was very, very moved by the situation of refugees and asylum seekers, something I'm very passionate about, and um, I will say it, I believe everyone deserves a chance for a safe life for themselves and their families. So for you, was that something that you were unhappy with the Australian government's approach? Very much so. And finally, having moved from Pakistan, which at that time was host to the largest number of refugees anywhere in the world, that has changed now. Uh, It's still pretty high, but uh, I think some countries in Europe um, are higher now. But um, I had no idea at that time. It was only when I came to Australia and because it was receiving so much public uh, publicity, uh, I learned a little about it. And the organization I was working with, one of their other projects was to do with asylum seekers. In fact, it was quite a confronting project um, where it, it was a simulation of sorts where you became the asylum seeker and it sort of put you in scenarios. Very basic but it, it it really got to me and I knew that was something I wanted to get into um, or, or find out more about and, and help the situation. So um, left that organization and um, was doing some temp work and thought, look, 
need to go back and study something. I was volunteering with um, uh, organizations in Melbourne that help settling asylum seekers in. So a little bit of um, resume writing, a bit of social interaction, English speaking, how to use public transport in Melbourne, um, things like that. So I thought, okay, let's change of careers definitely there. What am I going to do? Let's go study a little bit which is also good for networking, and then let's see what happens. So I applied to a couple of universities and to TAFE as well and got offers from all three, was just about to accept the TAFE one, which was the most relevant, when Monash University offered me a Commonwealth-supported place for a Master's in International Relations. Wow. And that was, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, you take that opportunity. <laughs> got to take that opportunity. Mm. So that also then changed the course because now instead of going into a community development um, uh, trajectory, I was looking more in a, a global perspective, a master of international relations. Um, what really interested me was initially was interfaith relations. And then I got more into the sociology and the politics of it. My thesis ultimately was about some time ago, it was about how 9-11, the social and political impacts of 9-11 on Muslim civil society organizations in Australia. And uh, I met some very interesting people through there. I met some very, some very wise, educated, amazing people through this project. Was was there much academic work being done on that topic at the time? There was lots. There was heaps. It, generally speaking, in terms of the impact 9-11 had on Muslim communities, yes, but there wasn't all that much on civil society organisations. Now, these are organisations that, you know, pre-9-11 just catered to their communities, you know, helps them with migration issues, helps them with English, helps them with, you know, how to manage being a Muslim in a Western society, um, very under the radar, and suddenly there they were needing to be the spokespeople for all Muslims, which cannot be. I mean, it's as diverse a group as humanity is. So it was really hard for them. So that brought about another change, a change in interest in um, in communities and interest in, uh, you know, how... And under, well, it brought about an understanding of how diverse communities really are. And once again, I had my plans... I was looking into internships with the UN or similar organizations. I was looking at um, public sector. I actually, while I was still doing my master's, I um, got a job at Victoria Police, administrative. But I thought that once I'm done, that will enable me to work within the public sector, help develop policy. Um, That was the plan. Uh, didn't quite work out that way, and as happenstance would have it, I ended up in fundraising for nonprofit organisations. Okay, so happenstance is one thing. How did it happen, though? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, so, um, well, directly, there was a, a very good friend of mine is a brilliant fundraiser, and um, she had... You know, she'd mentioned to me, I'd worked with her uh, previously in a short role I did, 
and she was insisting that I come and work with her at her organization, uh, the new organization she was at full time. And I said, you know, no, that's not really my cup of tea. And I've been doing fundraising as a volunteer for organizations I support, but it wasn't something I thought about as a as a career. And um, more than one occasion, she said, you must, you know, you love it. It's exactly this. This is a job for you. And finally, it was only when, you know, she, I think a few months went by and then she asked me again. And this time I said, okay, let me find out more. And that's how I ended up mm-hmm. in fundraising. And this is only in 2013. Not that long ago. Not that long ago. Yeah. So you're now into fundraising. Mm-hmm. Not where your lists or your planning said you were going to be. No. So you've had a couple of careers now and something's changed again. Something has. So this was in Melbourne. And it's, Sorry, can I just stop? And what's your husband doing at this time? Has he got a steady career or has he changing as well so my husband and I met when we were both in the film and media industry in Pakistan and um, he was still in that space at this time in Melbourne he was producing uh, videos corporate videos music videos um, short films for various clients and people in Melbourne Uh, He had his own business. He did a short stint with an organization, but he had his own business. So in uh, 2015, it was just before Christmas, he got a call from um, a very big television network in Pakistan, and they said, we want you to run our new film department. So it was a pretty good offer you know both the position and the package and and the networks that you know would be made with it uh, that he could tap into with it it was a no-brainer however I was also going somewhere in my career so, so you're a, a couple of years into fundraising by I'm now. a couple of years into fundraising by now and um, once again I had my plans there <laughs> and uh, I knew exactly what path I wanted to take but um, so that, you know, we, we talked and we knew that he had to take this opportunity. And we were saying that maybe I should stay behind for a year. And he goes back. I stay in Australia, get some more experience and then go back. And I was chatting with a friend on the phone in Pakistan. And he said, Mariam, what is wrong with you? If you ultimately are coming back to Pakistan, you need to build your career here, not in Australia. And are you really going to be happy living apart? And at that time, the answer was no. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was right. It made sense. If I'm going back there, what is my what are my Australian contacts going to do for my career in Pakistan? The sooner I start to build that network up, the, the sooner I get to develop my career there. So that was December and February 2016 we were back in Karachi and um, I had I was lucky enough I had um, managed to secure a really good position for myself at a um, a social enterprise being a grants manager and um, 
I left that in about a year to do my own fundraising consulting. And what's the maturity of fundraising in Pakistan? Like what we experience in Australia? For smaller organisations, perhaps. So it's it's very... Um, Pakistan is a developing country. There is a huge need for, you know, charity, um, for... for um, for philanthropic donations and people give, people give a lot. Unfortunately, it's not um, a developed industry because the, the need is so evident. It's in your face. You step out of your house, you see it. That it really is a case of ask and give. So it's very transactional. Yeah. Um, coming from Australia, I was very keen to develop, you know, relationship-based fundraising. And my clients were keen to give it a shot. But unfortunately, in many cases, their needs were also quite immediate. And as you know, it's, it's, it's not always like instant gratification. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I did that for a couple of years. All in all, I was in Pakistan for three years. And I felt I wasn't contributing. It's not that I wasn't getting work. There was work for me, but I just wasn't contributing. I wasn't being able to see any change come Create, about. Creating that impact. Creating that impact. And, and anyone I spoke to understood the value of philanthropy versus charity or, or you know, just giving relationships and giving experiences rather than just giving. But to implement that in that environment was a little bit harder. I haven't given up on it. But I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to attend the first uh, IFC conference in Bangkok, IFC Asia conference in Bangkok. And it was really good to see that Asian nonprofits are wanting to develop, are wanting to advance and become more professional, learn from contemporary practices, contemporary organizations. And, you know, so, so there is hope for Pakistan there, or for my industry in Pakistan. But as I said, um, because I wasn't feeling that fulfillment, not making an impact, perhaps for the first time in my life, I made a very conscious plan to make a change. I didn't let life happen to me. I made life happen. And I made the decision to come back to Australia. Without husband? Without husband. Husband is still very much husband. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, I, we, we have so far seen each other every, you know, six to eight weeks. I'm going to be seeing him again shortly. But, um, yeah, so that has probably been the biggest recent change to move country without him, to live apart so far away, while still enjoying a really strong, stable marriage. Good luck to you on that one. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. It's a, it's, um, yeah, a challenge, and um, I admire you for, for that. So just finishing up then, you're back in Australia doing work in the not-for-profit space, learning, um, again, building up your contacts. What do you see the future? My future? Yeah, future for you. <laughs> future for me. And, and interestingly, how that might fit in with the future of Pakistan, Asian philanthropy. 
the whole gamut of that. So my plan. Good, no plan. <laughs> my plan is to spend the next two, three, four, five, probably two, three, four years here, contribute as much as I can to my current organization. Maybe there'll be another one after this one. Learn, give, and take my learnings to Asia. My dream is to work from, well, from an Asian base, work with this, there's so, you know, I mean, you, you think of developing world, you, you know, Asia is very much there. And um, to help Asian nonprofits or to work with Asian nonprofits to build their capacity to be able to afford moving from transactional relationships to, um, to, to more meaningful relationships. That is my plan. Working out the finer details yeah, still. Yeah, well, hmm. um, you've landed on your feet a number of times when things, as you said, have occurred through happenstance, albeit your planning has probably allowed you to be able to flex when you've needed to flex and take up those opportunities. Uh, I think that level of surety in a plan, when something does come up, it makes it does make it easy actually to go on the tangent because it's because of some clarity in that tangent. So uh, I, I think whilst you said things have occurred a little randomly, I think there's been a lot of your planning and your um, ability to assess a situation that's probably helped you make that a meaningful adjustment. You know, it's um, I I agree. Having been a planner and having those plans completely disrupted in the past, and and I take the the university incident as the probably the the worst thing that ever happened to me in my whole life for that time, and having landed on my feet after that in such a beautiful way. I mean, I think about it. I would never have had the ten year media career wouldn't be in fundraising, wouldn't uh, wouldn't have met my husband, um, who knows what. I mean, it could have been another beautiful life, but sure. just having the confidence of knowing I will be okay. That's a great way to finish, Mariam. Thank you so much for being on Max's Island. Max's Island is about people doing things for themselves, but also the way they react for themselves to situations that present to them. And you've done a fantastic job so far in your career and your personal life with your husband. And good luck for you in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost. In the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the bibbling track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the Go for it.
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and nothing. 